Good morning, Lord's Love Church. It is so good to be with you uh, this morning, uh, even though uh, that I'm not able to be with you in person, but we trust that God use whatever medium that he will speak through you this morning. I know that your pastor is on a sabbatical leave, a much needed sabbatical. And we trust that during this month, uh, when he is gone, he will be renewed refreshed and rejuvenated when he comes back to serve you once again. Let us pray before we begin this morning. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this space that we can come before you this morning to listen, to receive, and just to hear what God that you have in store for us this morning. And Lord, open our hearts this morning open our eyes, open our ears so that we can see and listen. And now we pray that may you speak through me uh, as an instrument of your mouthpiece. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. I have entitled my sermon this morning, How Well Do You Know Him? How Well Do You Know God? I, I wonder where, where does most of you get information. You know, today we live in a world of technology and, and just this, this fingertips of information in our hand instantaneously that we can get anything that we want, either to eat at a local restaurant, whether to see a review about certain product. We have this incredible avenue of getting information and knowledge. There was a funny story about Albert Einstein, and somebody asked him, one of his colleagues, what is your telephone number? And he said, just a minute, got a telephone directory, and look up his telephone number. And the guy said, wait a minute, you don't remember your own telephone number? And Einstein says, why should I memorize something I can so easily get from a book? Well, here we are today. You don't really have to know stuff. You just have to know where to get the information from. For those of you who are a little bit older, do you remember encyclopedias? I remember talking to my kids, my eldest son, Riley, the other day, Riley is going to grade 10. I said that when your mom and dad were in school, there was no internet. There was only a set of encyclopedias for you to find information to go through. And today, it is estimated until 1900, human knowledge doubled approximately every 100 years. Every century, by the end of World War II, knowledge was doubling every 25 years. By the year 2013, knowledge around the world was doubling every 12 months. And today, it is estimated that knowledge doubles every single day. And by the end of 2020, knowledge will be doubling every 12 hours. Can you imagine that? It has just gone crazy. Now, on an individual level, a person with knowledge can be intimidated. 
can you imagine being around Jesus can be unnerving because he just knew everything. He knew what people were thinking. In the story in the Bible, we're told that Philip came to Nathaniel and said, we have, found, we have found the one that Moses and the prophets spoke about, Jesus the Messiah. And he said, Jesus of Nazareth? And Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, well, come and see. So he comes to meet Jesus, and Jesus sees him coming and says to him, oh, look. There is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And he said, well, how do you know me? And Jesus said, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And at that, Nathanael said, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I don't know what's going on under the fig tree. But it was a private thing between him and God. And Jesus said, I saw and heard it all. It was enough to shake Nathaniel up for him to realize, I'm dealing with somebody who knows everything. You must be the king of Israel. Then do you recall when Jesus healed the paralytic? And he said, a man... He said to a man, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees heard and said, that's blasphemy. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. They were thinking that. And the Bible says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, why are you thinking evil in your heart? It will be, leader, it will be a little frightening and spooky to be around somebody who knows every thought that you have this morning. Imagine somebody who knows everything about you, even what you think, even what you feel. Imagine somebody who knows everything about you and loves you the way you are. That's really what we are dealing when it comes to God. He still loves you. It was Francis Bacon who said, Knowledge is power. And if it's true, then God is all-powerful because God has all knowledge. This brings us this morning to Psalm 113. It is one of the most monumental psalms in the entire book. And it is a study, a song, a worship song with the attributes of God going through it. Four attributes uh, that David talked about, God's knowledge, God's power, God's presence, and God's holiness. Now, theologians have different words for these things. These are the words they will use to describe it. God's omniscient, God's omnipresent, his omnipotent, and his impeccability. But Psalm 139 is not a lecture on theology. It is David, the Bible, David, the king, Reflect on the God that he realizes he, that he has a relationship with. And he writes why he thinks about him. And this is, again, a song that was ascribed to God with these attributes. Can I just say this? This, this sets the premise for where we want to go this morning. Do you know what you think about God determines 
what you think about everything else. Let me repeat that again. Did you know what you think about God determines what you think about everything else? As A.W. Tozer said, what a person think about God is the most important thing about that person. So we learn a few things in these verses. Let us just look at verse 1 to 6. Uh, and there are four things that I want to share with you this morning. The first is this. is that God's knowledge is immeasurable. God's knowledge is immeasurable. Now, as we go through the first six verses, um, I'm going to emphasize some of the words. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Now notice David used the term know, understand, and comprehend. He is dealing with the subject of God knows stuff. It's all about God knows, his knowledge. And the way he writes about it, God's knowledge is immeasurable. Let's get back to the term that I said earlier, omniscient. Omniscient is a word that means that God knows everything. It comes from two Latin words stuck together. Omni, which is all, and zien, which is knowledge. God is unlimited in what he knows. What it technically means that it is God by nature. It's without the need to know or to learn anything. God never has to craft for an exam. He is the ultimate knower. He knows every single field of knowledge more than every expert in the field. He knows more about COVID-19 than Dr. Bonnie Henry. God knows it all. You know, um, I heard at times, you know, I'm sure many of us heard this statement. Uh, woman says, you know, I, I don't understand men. They're, they're difficult for me to figure it out. Sometimes my wife would say that about me. I just don't understand you. I just don't figure, I can't figure you out. Of course, I heard every man that I would say, uh, I heard every man that I would say, I can't never figure a woman out. God can. God knows both man and woman. And guess what? God even understands teenagers. Now, we, when it comes to God's knowledge, we always compare it with our knowledge because how we see how great it is. God's, our knowledge is different because human knowledge is, is accumulated knowledge. Our knowledge is a product of tedious learning and research and long experience but not God's knowledge. God's knowledge is immediate. 
comprehensive and without deterioration. What it means is that God never has to research. He doesn't have to move from one logical premise to another. God never had to go to school. God never has to be informed about anything. Isaiah said in, in, four, in Isaiah 40, who has understood the mind of the Lord or instruct him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who taught him a knowledge or show the path of understanding? God never says, wow. God never said, ah, I didn't know that. There is no such thing as TMI with God. Too much information. God didn't go, wait a minute, wait a minute, too much information. No, God has so much information that we can never even comprehend it. And that's really the underlying point. Now, think about all the stuff that you and I have forgotten over the years. I mean, just what I studied this week, I have forgot by the time that I got here. It, it, it's uh, that, that I did the recording and, and, and it's crazy and you really learn how much you forget over the years so that's the first thing is that God's knowledge is immeasurable second thing to make note of and other aspects of God's knowledge that David reflect over in this song is that God's knowledge is instructional in verse 4, he says, There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together, all completely. You have hedged me behind and before and lay your hand on me. Now, in these verses, the word you is emphatic. So you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down. You understand my thoughts far off. You comprehend my path. And the reason it's emphatic is to state you and no one else know this. In other words, you are like no one else. You are completely unique. You are in a class of your own. And in verse 6, David says, such knowledge, this kind of knowledge that I'm talking about, that I know you have such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Now, in this verse, David, the psalmist, is comparing himself with God. He's saying, there's no way I could know, I could ever know what you know unless you reveal it to me. And that's what I really want to get at. God has chosen because he has knowledge to reveal. In part, part of what he knows to us is called revelation. So God's knowledge is instructional. Socrates used to say, knowledge is the only good and ignorance is the only evil. Now, if that were true, then God is supremely good and we are supremely not good because of our ignorance. But the point here, the underlying theme and thought is that it tells us, it informs us about the God that we're dealing with. See, we are limited in our capabilities of knowledge. God is unlimited in his capability. 
God's knowledge and God's awareness extend to all times, past, present, and future. That's how David writes these six verses. So what it means that God knows what will happen just as much God knows what has happened. You see, we can't wrap our minds around that. That's why prophecy is no big deal to God. We understand history. To God, prophecy, what is coming in the future is, is like history. He understands it that well. And this is the basis for one-fourth of your Bible called prophecy. About one-fourth of the Bible is, is predictive. It is God revealing because he knows all things. Revealing what is coming in the future. He instructs us on the future. So, for example, he announced that Cyrus would deliver the Jews 150 years before Cyrus was alive. We find it in Isaiah 45, in the book of Daniel chapter 2 and other chapters, David predicts the rise and fall of world governing powers, Babylon, Media Persia, Greece, and Rome way before, century before those things even took place. Not anybody can predict the future. But having those predictions come true is a whole other ballgame. Fulfillment is quite different. Especially when you make predictions and you add details. And the more details you add the prediction you make, like God does, you are entering around mathematics called compound probability. So, for example, if I, if I have in my pocket 10 pennies, Mark, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and I made a prediction, I'm going to reach in my pocket, close my eyes, and I will pull out penny mark number one. Well, the odds of that is one in 10. But if I then make another prediction and I add to it, and I say, now I'm going to reach in my pocket and pick out a penny mark number two, now my, my odds decrease. The odds of pulling out penny number two after making the prediction is one in a hundred. But what if I make a prediction that if I pull on number three, four, five, six, all the way to 10 in consecutive order, now I decrease my odds so much that the odds of that happening will be one in 10 billion. So in the scripture, did you know that there are over 300 prophecies about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, about what he'll be like, who he born, what his friends would do, who his traitor would be? It is estimated that in 100 billion years, there is no human chance that those prophecies could ever be fulfilled without God. It is impossible. So that is why biblical prophecy, God in knowledge of revealing the future is not just a good guess. It has multiple contingencies that cannot be known or controlled that prove the Bible is different than any other book. It proves its divine origin. So God knows everything. And when he sees prophecy, 
he is, he is showing something that he knows. He's showing in advance what he knows. And what that does, it, it, it instructs us. And our faith is strengthened. So God's knowledge is immeasurable. And his knowledge is instructional. But I love how it continues because it shows that God's knowledge is individual. Now notice how David writes this, Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down, not just the world. You are just not aware of current events. You know when I sit down and rise up. You understand my thoughts far off. Now, I counted in these six verses, 13 personal pronouns. Because David is now dealing with God in the abstract. This isn't just some theology course for him. This is not just an academic pursuit for him. To David, this is personal. This is personal to him. And he says, you're so amazing. But you're doing it for me. I have a relationship with you on a personal level. You know, when we read the Bible, um, that I often teach my congregation, it's three thin, simple steps that when we read any passage, is observation, in, er, interpretation, and application. The first is observation. We, we look at this passage and we notice who's been written to, the background, the setting, you're making an observation. The second step is that once you find out what it says, the second step that you take into your mind is called interpretation. Not just what it says, but what does it mean? What does it mean to the people that it was spoken to? But the third phase, a third step that we must enter into, and David does for us to see is called application. What does it mean to, what does it mean to me personally? And I hope that this morning, as you read this passage, you need to ask yourself, what does it mean for you personally? Because if you just say, oh, you know, I observed some cool things about the Bible, I interpreted this way, and a lot of people stop with that. But to have life-changing transformation, that we need application. And David says that God knows every of my movement, my sitting down, my getting up, the most mundane of life. God is interested. He just, he doesn't just know. The point is that he cares. The point is that he cares. And can you imagine, there are 7.8 billion people on earth today, and God intimately acquainted with each person the Bible tells us that in Proverbs chapter 5, the ways of men are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his goings. Now, David, on a personal level, says that God knows all my movement, my sitting down, my getting up, my every motive. And it continues in verse 2. It says, like, you understand my thoughts are far off. Now, that term afar off is a term that that refers to time, not space. In other words, you know my thought before I think my thought. While the, process, while the process is working in my brain, and I'm going to form the first word, you already know that. 
God knows everything. Now back to the notion. When we're around somebody who knows everything, like Jesus dealing with us, it can be unsettling. And let me just explain that I discovered that most people have a fear of being exposed for something. Only they know that something. And David is coming to grips personally with this truth because God knows absolutely everything about him and about me and about you. But yet, to put it bluntly, uh, to, to put it bluntly, there's nothing that you and I do can hide from God. God knows everything. God knows your thoughts. God knows your desire, your hopes, your disappointment, even your sin. And by the way, this is the reason God's assessment of the world and God's judgment of people and the world is better than anybody else because God knows everything. So three important aspects of God's knowledge that David help us this morning is God's knowledge is immeasurable. God's knowledge is instructional. And God's knowledge is individual. And it leads us to the last point. is that God's knowledge is inspirational. In verse 5, the psalmist says, you have hedged me. Notice the word you have hedged me behind. That is in my back and before. Now the word hedge, the Hebrew word means to bind or to encircle or to lay siege to it was use of an army laying siege to a city. You could translate it, David saying, I'm hemmed in like a city under siege by God. So how do we interpret that? What does it mean by that? Well, some people think that he's simply saying, I'm nestled by God. I'm protected by God. Others look at it negatively, negatively and say, David is complaining that he's trapped. I'm trapped by God. It's sort of a fatalistic view as to say, well, if God knows everything, then I'm hedging. I'm trapped. I'm a prisoner of faith. I can't really do anything. Now, I don't think it really means that. I actually think it means the first, because what he's saying here, that I'm surrounded by God. I'm nestled by God. And the idea that he has laid his hand on me, he has cupped his hand around me. And that's the idea. He has hedged me in. He's protecting me. So David doesn't see himself as a prisoner of faith. David sees himself as protected by God. And how do I know that? Because look at what he says in verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful. It's too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. He wouldn't call it wonderful if he felt like he was trapped by God. Now, also, let's go to verse 17. How precious are your thoughts to me? How great is the sum of them? There's another positive thing. And then after calling his thoughts precious, go down to uh, the Psalm 20, uh, 23. It, it kind of circled back to the same prayer. But he says something different. He says, search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And, and see if there's any wicked way in me. 
since you know everything about me, find every little deceit and lead me in the way everlasting. So to put it all together, he's saying, look, I will probably never get around to know God fully. So the best thing is for me is to surrender and submit myself to God. And that, that, that's how he ends it. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I can't get it. I can't attain to it. So lead me in the way everlasting. I'm going to submit to God. So since God's ability transcends my reality, it's best to bow to his immensity. See, if God is small enough for our mind, he wouldn't be big enough for our needs. And so David goes. David says, okay, God, help me to see that. Um, let me end here. Let me end here by giving, giving you three takeaways. Um, three takeaways for you today. Since God knows everything, number one, he knows the worst about us. Number two, since God knows everything, he knows the best about us. And finally, since God knows everything, he knows the potential in us. And let me just unpack this for you. Since God knows everything, God knows the worst about us. In our relationship, we have this fear of rejection. I talked to a lot of counselors about this. And the fear is a relationship is entered into. But the fear is that once the other person discovers who I really am, they're not going to like me who I really am. They're going to reject who I really am. And I'm, going, and I'm going to be without that person's love. So what happens in relationship, unfortunately, is people resort to hiding, to put their best face forward, best face forward. And they're never free to be the real them. So if God knows everything, then God already knows the worst about you. And second, if God knows everything, and he does, and God knows the best about us. And I like this because sometimes in life, you do the best for people, and the best isn't enough. You may not hit the mark. And when you do, people get critical. And I know what it's like for being a pastor, is that everybody is your boss. Um, and you can never please everyone. What I love about God is that God knows the full extent about your heart. So we know that Peter, after he blew it, after he denied God, and he met Jesus afterwards, after the resurrection, and Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? And you know the story. I love how Peter answered. He says, Lord, you know all things, and you know I love you. So you know my heart. You know my failure, but you know everything. You know the worst. You know the best. You know that I tried. You know that I gave it my best. You know that. God sees every imperfections you see and more. He knows them all. He also sees the finished product. The Bible says that we are his workmanship. We are his work of art. If you know everything about artists, you know that an artist begins a work with a picture in their mind. 
is not on the canvas yet, is not in the clay yet, but in the mind. He has something that he or she is going to make and is already formulated. So God is working on you this morning and has the end product already formulated. You, his workmanship, and God sees the potential. And sometimes we wonder when we look at the names that Jesus renamed his disciple, like Peter, the rock. The guy is like sand. You should give him a different name. But Jesus named people like Matthew. And Jesus sees what he can make them into. So he takes us the way we are. But then he sees the finished product. God knows in our imperfection, but he knows what he can do with us. He sees the end product. Now we all know Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Uh, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and know the call according to his purpose. You we all need to be acquainted with verse 29 too. For those that God foreknew or knew in advance, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. See, God knows so much and God knows what is going to make you look more and more like Jesus. So that God foreknew, he also predestined to conform to the likeness of his son. And those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. All of those stages are what God does in your life. I just want to encourage all of you this morning. God knows what you need today. And God knows what you need him today. And for some of you, maybe God is calling you back. God is calling you to you to surrender. Like David, you're going to say, lead me in the way everlasting. And I pray that you do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning. This beautiful song help us to understand who you are, God. Because how we see you affects everything what we do in life, what we do in our relationships, what we do with our money, our time, our resources. God, I thank you for, for, for David that, that this, is a, this is a psalm that he expressed how he feels about you. And Lord, I just Thank you for this reminder of your knowledge. That your knowledge is, is so high for us to attain. But yet you know each one of us. So Father, just remind us today of this knowledge that we have in you. That it is helpful for us to know about you. So Lord, help us to go out today to know that no matter how you think of us, that you already have a finished product in mind. 
that you know the worst, the best, and the potential in all of us. Thank you, Jesus, for your unconditional love. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.